You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chris Claremont, recommending that you take a listen to Epic Marvel Podcast. Hey there, everybody. We're back again for another episode of the Epic Marvel Crossover. Crossover, uh, crossover, crossover, podcast. crossover. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe it does, but I have to remember you're going to do it. Okay. And then <laughs> <laughs> We're oh. still new at this, everybody. Uh, yeah. So um, if you if you didn't hear uh, last week, this is kind of a new podcast that we're doing with uh, Curtis and the Epic Marvel podcast, uh, where our first episode we covered... Uh, the Incredible Hulk versus Superman That's from right. 1999. Where we just gushed about Roger Stern and Steve Rude oh, and all yeah. of them. So. Oh, yeah. And that's a good book. Go listen to that episode and li- read that comic. Definitely. Um, this episode, I think we're... Oh, you know what? We skipped introduction. So let me just... Who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> My name's Will Hoffnick. Um, you can find me on Twitter at GoldenBoyPhoto1. Um, or you can hear me on my podcast, I Love You California, if you're into California history. Um, so go ahead and check that out. How about you? Uh, me, I am Jim. Jim Mason. You can find me at Jimmers with three M's, so that's J-I-Triple-M-E-R-S uh, on Twitter, uh, Jim Mason on Facebook, and I believe I'm Jimmers with five M's. <laughs> I, I, I kind of was trying to work a theme there, Jimmers with five M's on the Instagram. Uh, so that you can see all of my fun little pictures of me playing tabletop role-playing games and my cat. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, hopefully the cat doesn't knock over too many pieces. Well, usually I leave her at home and travel elsewhere. Uh, That makes it easier. She's older. She can't get up onto the table like she used to. So, you know, that's a good thing there. Um, But, yeah, so this is... uh, Episode two. Yep. Can you you believe we made it this far? I know, right? (laughs) Two whole episodes. I know. Wow. Um, If this was a 90s comic book, this would be an achievement. Seriously. seriously. If this was was an image book or or a (laughs) self-published book from 1993, (laughs) we are doing great. That's right. (laughs) So um, episode two. So like I said, we did Incredible Hulk versus Superman in the first issue. Who are we doing this week? This week we are doing the one. And just to remind you, this is probably one of my favorite favorite single-issue comic books from my childhood. This is The Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans. Yep, uh, from 1982. You are correct, sir. Uh, It was written by Chris Claremont with art by Walter Simonson, one of my favorite creators. If you have not read any of his Thor run, get on it. It is in perpetual evergreen reprints. Yep. in trade paperbacks. No, and and I mean, and uh, like we 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 talked a little bit about it uh, previously, but it's it's essentially we're talking about 1982. This is Claremont. This is Walt Simonson. This is Terry Austin. Yep, and this is at the height of their power. This is lettered by Tom Orzakowski, mm-hmm. who is still lettering today. He is lettering books like Spawn and Batman and amazing books there. Uh, Glennis Wine Ween, I should say. 
is the colorist. And Louise Jones, later Mrs. Walter Simonson, That's right. uh, was Wheezy. Wheezy. The amazing Wheezy was the editor on this book. Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. He's yep. like the monstrous eight-foot-tall human who oh, yeah. runs, likes to run comic You know, Marvel industries. Frankenstein. And then finally, uh, Len Wein, who was an editor at uh, DC Comics. He was specifically an editor for New Teen Titans. He's listed as the contributing editor for this book. Nice. Yeah, so, and, and like you, like we said, this is Walt Simonson at the height of his powers. Like you Ooh. said, you said the Thor run. The Thor run begins literally like right after this. Yeah. Or, or pretty close I mean, we're to talking, after. I, I want to say within a year or two after yeah. this book. Um, you know, Walt had had a run at DC as a strict freelancer. He worked on DC books, Marvel books. He worked on indie comics. Uh, and he really cut his teeth along with, you know, many of his contemporaries, people like John Byrne, Frank Miller. Right. Um, really that that second wave of Marvel guys, oh, Marvel yeah. and DC guys, right? Not the, not the Jack Kirby's, the Steve Ditko's, you know, but the guys right after the that. The guys right after that who started, you know, like I remember John Byrne's Doomsday Plus One over at Charlton mm-hmm. Comics, you know, and, and Walt Simonson, I think he had a book. No, I'm th- I can't remember the name, but he had a fantasy book over at DC for a while, and I, the the title is escaping me. But he had really done quite a range of work, superhero to sci-fi to fantasy, and uh, boy, he went both feet into the superhero oeuvre <laughs> with <laughs> with this book. I mean, it is wow. So uh, you're thinking? I think you're thinking. Um, were you thinking? No, no. I'm trying to remember the name of the book you were thinking of from DC. I I, I um, was originally thinking Claw the Unconquered, but it was something else. And because I'm mixing up Howard Chaikin into that mix. Yeah, too. that's so, fair. Also a guy right yeah, from that era too. You know, and all these guys were coming out and they were all starting to pop off at the same time. Yep. So, um, but I'll get that to you on a future podcast. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Walt Simonson, what an amazing illustrator, dynamic panel layouts, uh, dynamic anatomy right uh was i mean i mean very few artists are able to show the human body or humanoid body in some cases in motion the way that walt simonson yeah they're strange they're very like it's it's dynamic like you say things are in motion everyone looks like they're in motion but they're also very cartoony at the same time almost exaggerated yeah like like there's like a weird like to 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 just kind of talk a little bit of, you know, a little bit ahead of ourselves, but there's like scenes in the book where, you know, there's people like they're, they're practicing in the danger room right. and you see everyone kind of hopping around. It's like none of those stances are realistic stances, none, none but, whatsoever. but they work, right? Because you can see the action. You can tell what they're doing. Everything's kind of caricatured. It's kind of just slightly cartoonish, but in a good way. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, and I'm trying to think of a silver age artist, I, I hate to say it because we lushed on Jack Kirby last mm-hmm, episode, mm-hmm. but he is of the Kirby school right. where it's okay to use things like forced perspective and exaggerated anatomy to help convey the action, the actual kinetic motion in a comic book yep. panel. Yep. And still, I mean, and Walt Simonson, at least at this time, still never quite walked out of that, you know, very kind of more structured grid layout. I mean, exactly. he played with them a little bit, right? And and did things that were a little creative in this book by itself. Um, but... But editorial had it had sort of a, a panel true. layouts on lockdown because they wanted their anchors to be able... It was, it was Let's be honest. 
it was a manufacturing line for cops. That's true. Very much so. You know, especially and, in the Marvel side. Oh right? God, yes. You know, and I mean the bullpen. You know, uh, the the mythology of the bullpen is, I think, a whole episode of a comic book <laughs> podcast by itself. Right. But I'm pretty know, sure that's a whole like novel. Like, I, you I can write a book, right? Uh, <laughs> aspiring writer, write that yeah. book. I don't want to. Uh, if, it, if it exists, and tell us because I want to read it, please. <laughs> um, but the the thing is, is that you know they they had deadlines to meet. They and they had this Marvel method. That worked for them, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know they needed they needed these guys on point for it. And I think another another reason why Walt Simonson was able to really shine in this book, you cannot deny that Terry Austin yep. should be, if he is not already, one of the Hall of Fame comic book anchors of all oh, no. time. Like the guys, I mean, the guy has literally <laughs> inked every great. You know, comic artist that there was. He's done every um, every character, every line of comics. That's I right. Mean, the guy has done everything. I mean, but most famously, of course, he came up where he really got noticed first was that John Byrne yes. X Men, right? Yes. And of course, this is an X Men book. This isn't John Byrne penciling it, but it is an X Men book. And you can you can you can tell the impact that Terry Austin had on John Byrne. When John Byrne left X Men to do Fantastic Four, mm-hmm, John's mm-hmm. John Byrne's art was very different, and it took me a John Byrne fanboy a minute to really grasp what he was doing right. in FF, and I I didn't like it in the beginning. <laughs> you know, I really didn't, you know. But hey, Alpha Flight, you know, I enjoyed all that stuff, and uh, but when he, when he finally moved off the X books and went to Fantastic Four. Uh, you can tell that Terry wasn't with him anymore. Yep. So, and I mean, Terry Austin did Captain America stories. He did Cyclops and Phoenix. He did Alpha Flight. He did Amazing Spider-Man for a number of issues. He did Doctor Strange. He did Epic Illustrated stories. You know, Indiana Jones, Treasury Edition. Oh, you know what? Talking about maybe a future episode of this show, he did the Superman versus Spider-Man, Marvel Treasury number 28. Oh, (laughs) was that, who did the art on that? Was that Buscema? Um, I don't know. Or was it Ross Hand? Andrew that did the artwork. Let's on see. It. it was, it looks like, uh, it was Buscema. Yep. It was John, John, John Buscema. Buscema. John yep. Buscema. Okay. Then we need to read that. Yep. Okay. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> Mark that down. <laughs> um, so I, 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 just Terry Austin, you know, what, I hate to go back to mall rats or chasing Amy, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, but anchors were called, you're just an effing tracer. Yep. You yep. know, <clears throat> these guys, no, they, they have an art style all nope. them all their own. They very much yeah. do. And I mean, the pencilers had their favorite inkers to work with, they right? Did. And Absolutely. they knew, they knew the guy that would express their vision best. Exactly. Right? They were very much Butch and Sundance. So, yep. you know, some of the great writer anchor combos or artist uh, penciler anchor combos I can come off with off the top of my head. Okay. One, you got John Byrne, Terry Austin mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. other side of the aisle over at DC, you had George Perez and Romeo Tangal. Yep. You know, you had these guys. Um, you know, who who just complemented each other. Now, it wasn't a, a, a pencil or inker combo, but Frank Miller's art was always co- uh, complemented by Lynn Varley's colors. Right. Well, well, and Klaus Janssen. Uh, and Klaus, right. well, Klaus Jansen in his early days, yeah, I yeah. should say that. Yeah, because, I mean, no, you, that's you know, fair. That's the, fair. The, the, the Frank Miller, Klaus Jansen stuff from the, the early 80s is, I mean, phenomenal to where... Daredevil. You know, yeah, he, you know, Daredevil and uh, um, Batman, you're yep. one, you know, yep. or um, not not your one. Not um, your... Uh, what's it? Uh, Dark, Dark Knight. Knight Returns, right? Dark Knight. Um, but... Um, 
And then when, when Frank Miller went alone and did his own thing with uh, Ronin, it just wasn't... He went back to Klaus Janssen after right. that because he realized, oh, no, Klaus is actually making me better. Because but, he had to work 10 times harder right. to make that book sing. Right, but you are right. Lynn Varley, especially in the later. You yeah, know, the you later. Know, the later stuff like uh, 300, for instance. Yep. You know, Lynn Varley, I believe the two were married for a time. They're not married anymore, but they're still working together. So... God bless him for that. <laughs> but hey, we're here to talk about X-Men That's and the right. Teen Titans. Um, um, the so whole, before we get into the book yeah, a little bit, yeah. let me let me read a little bit of feedback for that we got from the Facebook community here. So, okay, here um, we go. So Curtis had posted on uh, the Facebook, on the Epic Marvel Facebook page, uh, asking people what they thought about this book. And just a couple comments that we got is um, from Chad Russell. He says, this is one of, if not the first big deal comics that I recall knowing of when I was younger. It took me a few years to get a hold of a copy, I think, but it was big. I had never read Titans at that point and only knew the X-Men somewhat, but that Simonson cover had made a lasting impression on my young mind. Double-sided cover. Yep, yeah, or, no, yeah, it's a full wrap. Yeah. Yep, yep. with, oh. uh, with uh, Dark Phoenix on one side and, and Dark Side on the other. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I, and this is before the internet. Right. So I saw it as a young comic book reader on the racks at the airport in Fresno. Mm -hmm. And we were going to Disneyland or something, and my dad was always irritated with me because I'd always say, Dad, can I buy a comic? Dad, can I buy a comic? And he hated me reading comics. <laughs> my mom loved me reading comics because I learned how to say the word anthropomorphic in the nice. fourth grade. Yep. So <laughs> thank you, Beast, in John Byrne and Chris Claremont's yeah. X-Men. <laughs> uh, anyway, I see this book. And it's the two comic books I'm regularly collecting, New Teen Titans and X-Men. Yeah, well, they were two of the biggest books at the time. They were. They I were mean, the number one. They were trade number one right. and two uh, on the Diamond or whatever the distribution chart was back then. Point being is I had to have this book, and I got to the point where my mom relented and and said, Ron, I'm just going to buy it to shut him up. <laughs> and, and I read this book. I was on the plane. I don't like planes. Didn't even make a noise on the plane because I'm reading this book. And when I was done with it, I'd start at page one and read it again and read it again yep. and read it again. This book is magic. This, yeah. this book is the magic um, that I, I cannot express. And, and I want to talk, you know, because there, there's sort of a melancholy ending to this mm -hmm. partnership on this book that we'll get into, we'll touch base on later. Um, but... There's never been a collaboration of Marvel and DC of this scope mm -hmm. like this until I think almost 15, 14, 15 years later when JLA Avengers yep. came out. Yep, uh, JLA Avengers. Busiek and Perez. Right. So, but that we will leave to possibly another episode. To oh, tease yeah. that out. I'm sure we'll bit. get to that one eventually. There you go. <laughs> so, anyway, that's, uh, no, I that mean, was my and, encounter. And that's just it. The, the scope is insane in this book. It's one thing to have, you know, th they had done a few crossovers previous to this. I think this was like maybe the, the third or fourth uh, crossover that Marvel and DC had done. Um, let me take a quick look here. It does. It looks like this was the fourth one. There was the Superman versus Amazing Spider-Man, the Marvel Treasury with Superman, Spider-Man, um, and then the Batman Incredible Hulk uh, in the DC Special Series. Oh, that's right. right. I forgot about that. And one. then, and then there was this one: Marvel DC present X-Men Teen Titans. But as much as you know, Spider-Man's always been huge. Superman's big, right? Batman's big. The 
X-Men and Teen Titans, as we, as we mentioned, were huge at the time. Like, like they were the number one books, right? And yep. the scale of this book that goes from, you know, these two super teams. You have so many, you know, so many X-Men. You have so many Teen Titans. And then you bring in the, the, the villains or the, 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 the antagonists with Darkseid and with Dark Phoenix, right? And at the time, Dark Phoenix was dead. Yeah, right. Yeah, Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix had just died, I think, a year or two before. Right. And Jean Grey, uh, you know, if, if you know anything about your X Men lore, Jean Grey stayed dead and gone for a long, yep. long time. Like I was shocked that they brought her back, <laughs> as as with everybody. And then Dark Side, who I was not as familiar with, they were starting to bring back more and more. And I had I, I knew who Darkseid was from a JLA JSA crossover on mm-hmm. the DC side, um, but I was like, okay, he looks like Thanos. Right. I did not know that Thanos was actually adapted from right. Darkseid. Right. No. Yeah. They gave they it was a uh, um, Starling right, and they told yeah, them Jim to basically Starling, yep. create create Darkseid. We right? need a Darkseid. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's Thanos. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, so you have the two biggest. Menaces, because I hate to call Dark Phoenix a villain. Right. You know, it's it's it's. But she's a threat. Oh God, a threat of. I mean, she's somebody who fed on a star. Mm -hmm, She was mm -hmm. hungry and ate a star. Eat that Galactus. (laughs) Galactus comes for planets. Dark Phoenix goes for stars. Take Uh, that. I, I just the matter of scope. Forget Galactus. I mean, it's. Dark Phoenix right. is is an order magnitude above. Right. And see, that's kind of what I think of Darkseid, where Darkseid, as much as he is kind of, you know, Thanos, he's, he, there's that relationship to him and Thanos in Marvel, but I think of him as more of like DC's Galactus. He's kind of that level threat He's almost me. a force of nature. Right. You know, yes, he's evil. Yes, he's malevolent, but... You know what? He's he's almost archetypal. You know, going yep. going back and to that's that a, that's Jungian, a Kirby trope, right? Yeah, that's well, a Kirby going trope. back to those Jungian archetypes that um, that you need this absolute evil for absolute mm-hmm. good to prevail over, and mm-hmm. that's what Darkseid is. Yep. You know, and and what Jack Kirby crafted him as the main foil in his New Gods, um, his Fourth World books, yep. which consisted of uh, the New Gods, the Forever People. Uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I know. Super- <laughs> Listen back to last episode right. on that. And uh, why am I blanking on the oh, Mister Miracle? Yep. So you know, it, it, Dark Side is as uh, Tom King would right. say. Um, but I mean, that's part of what they brought him over for was to build that mythology. Yes. Right. Is to let Kirby be Kirby and let him build these characters and this mythos that I mean. DC had space and cosmic stuff, but not at that scale. Not nothing. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, they had Brainiac, for instance. Right. Yeah, you know, they had, you know, the the mole men from Mars, or you know, well, I should say the Martian Manhunter. But you know, they had these throwaway alien menaces. But they didn't have e- they didn't have eternity, no. right, or something of that scale. You know those they had those forces of nature, those cosmic entities. Nothing through the Silver Age until Jack moved across the right. street. Um, okay, before we move on, I got one more comment. I'm going to read here. Um, this is from Ben Hayes from our Facebook page. Uh, he says 1982's Uncanny X Men and New Teen Titans is one of the two best crossovers, along with 
the aforementioned 2003's JLA Avengers. Yep. Chris Claremont, the definitive 1980s X-Men writer, uh, the always amazing Walt Simonson on art. This was supposed to be the first of two X-Men Teen uh, Titans yes. crossovers, with the second being written by Wolfman and Perez. And it was supposed to be titled The New Teen Titans and The right. Uncanny X-Men. Uh, and then he goes on to say, the team that created the New Teen Titans and brought them to their hype, meaning Wolfman and Perez. Right. DC and Marvel had some sort of fallout after this crossover, and they did not do another one until 1994. Now, and- an interesting thing was is that they were planning by 1984 to launch JLA Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was written by Marv Wolfman and done by George Perez. Mm-hmm. Um, George was heavily into the art. In fact, you can go online and find original JLA Avengers team-up art of, you know, Batman jumping out of nowhere, kicking Captain America in the face, you know, and, uh-huh. and things <laughs> like that. Um, and they canceled the project while he was more than halfway through the artwork for this mm. book. And we're talking inked. Yeah, yeah. Inked artwork, pre-color. Um, and that was, so they were going to release that book, and then they were going to release the second X-Men Teen Titans number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and is it, one of those, oh, what could have been moments. This is also know? a time, though, something to remember about 1982 and the early 80s. Um, DC started suffering as a, as a business yep. um, to the point... Um, where there were talks in the background of Marvel taking over DC's character yep. line. Um, in fact, you can go online and do a search and find there's a memo from Jim Shooter talking about it, yep. right? And, and it Warner's, was, and just to say this mm-hmm. real quick, because Warner Brothers owned them at this point. Right, yeah, Warner's bought them in the mid-70s. They did, right yep. after the DC implosion. And they were seriously considering getting out of the comic book right. business at that point. Yep. And I mean, I just think of that. I mean, uh, what a different world that would have been. And what <laughs> what world would that have been? That would have been 76, 20? What was... Yeah. What, oh, oh, for the universe? The universe? Oh, yeah. Universe. Uh, this is uh, Earth 7642. 7642. Yep. Ah, 7640, nobody goes there. Right. 7642 yep. is where everybody <laughs> hangs out. You only get Dark Horse and Image characters characters at 7640. Yep. Um, the point that... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? If you don't find that funny, I don't blame yep. you. Um, but the point is that I'm trying to make is it was that close. I'm holding my fingers together really closely. It was We were that close. That totally Pinch. works on radio. Doesn't FYI. it? <laughs> Doesn't it? I'll take a picture and upload it to yep. my... Uh, Visual gags were great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just like uh, I can tell you that uh, Will is sitting to my right. Yeah. And <laughs> what the hell difference does that make? But the point that I'm making is, is that what a world it would have been. Mm-hmm. You know, first, if DC was absorbed by Marvel... B, if JLA Avengers came out when they said it was going to come mm-hmm, out, mm-hmm. and then finally uh, to have New Teen Titans and X-Men written by Wolfman and Perez, who had just as much a, a, a grasp of what was driving the young readers through teenage market mm-hmm. that were buying that were buying these books at record-setting numbers. Um, DC didn't have another book in the top 10 at the time other than New Teen Titans. Right. And... You know, it, it's just which is which also. I mean, and that part of leads into just talking about the end of the why this crossover right. also works is both these teams. Not only were they the top, not only were they they were both teams of essentially kind of. I mean, maybe not kids, but young people right. that were very right. similar. Right? Yeah. They had a, a lot of the guys had somewhat similar powers, right, uh, or things that they could play off, or of each they other. had similar personalities, right? You know, you, you and they had very archetypal. 
uh, leads in Robin mm-hmm. and Cyclops. Cyclops, you can consider to be a sidekick of Professor X if you look at the early Lee Kirby books. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they both had brawler characters. They had shape changers. They had, you know, uh, interesting-looking characters that, that just weren't good-looking, but they were written like they were of the age that they existed yep. in. They were not... Yes, they were legacy heroes on the Teen Titans part and the second wave of X-Men on the Marvel's part, but they were of the era that they were in instead of Batman having been created in 1939, telling stories with him in 1982. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Now, now you mentioned second wave X-Men. Was this, and, and I don't remember, is, was Storm in charge of X-Men at this point, or is it no. still Cyclops? No, this was still Cyclops. Well, it's funny because Cyclops went on walkabout after uh, Jean Grey was was killed on the uh-huh. moon. Um, but he was still, when he came back, uh, I, which I think was a few years, I think it was even a year after this book had come out, uh, Storm and Cyclops had kind of, you know, she tried to defer back to Cyclops, but in the mm-hmm. end, yeah, uh, you know, they had to fight it out in the danger room, basically. Right, right. But they they went with again. They went with what was best known of of the characters at this time. Yep. So Cyclops was the ostensible. And leader. this is pre um, like X Factor. This is oh, pre. Yeah. You know, I mean, we still have Kitty Pride and we have Nightcrawler. This here. is Kitty Pride in her, in her yellow is, and black training yep. uniform. Uh, welcome to the X-Men Kitty Pride. Hope you survived the experience era Kitty Pride. Right. When she was 13 years old. Um, and Colossus, who I think was 20, uh, <laughs> they were dating. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was not weird. But, um, <laughs> you know, well, you know, I you mean, know you it's had, a different era. Right, right. right. And, <laughs> and you had uh, Wolverine who just turned into uh, into his uh, brown earth tone duds. Right, out of the yellows. Out of the yellows. Finally mm-hmm. wanted to hide for a change. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite X-Men of all time is Nightcrawler. I love yep. Nightcrawler. So the fuzzy elf was there. Uh, Storm. I, I mean, and Storm was still, she was still the exotic African goddess mode at this time before she became punk rock Storm. Um, so Yeah, this, she didn't, this is pre-Mohawk. This is pre-Mohawk. Pre-Mohawk, right, yeah. Yep. Pre-Morlocks, you know, the whole, right. you know, the, the life death, oh, I lost my mutant powers, no, I didn't. Um, and the new Teen Titans of this era, you know, they were, they were, you know, the, the classic team that you are now starting to see realized on television, both in Teen Titans Go, the Titans television series on DC Universe. Mm-hmm. So you have Robin, the sidekick of Batman, who hated being called a sidekick to Batman, even still, even <laughs> though he still wore a Speedo into combat. Right. Uh, you had um, his... And this long- is, of course, this is still, of course, Dick Grayson Robin. This is Dick Grayson. Right. There is only one Robin at this point. Right. This is before Jason Todd... Uh, put the Batmobile on on cinder blocks and stole the wheels off of it. Um, so take you had, that, Batman. Take that. You know, well, he listened to the uh, Christmas jingle too much. <laughs> anyway, uh, you also had as a second in command, you had uh, Donna Troy, Wonder Girl, mm-hmm. and at this point, they were starting to move away from the Wonder Girl uh, name and starting to call her Donna all the time. You had Victor Stone, the who was unfortunately the stereotyped. Uh, African-American character where he was always angry all the time because his father turned him into a freak cyborg Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and uh, definitely matured over the years in in his writing. You had Gar Logan, who was uh, another legacy character, first of the Doom Patrol, Mm -hmm. uh, and he he was a green... 
uh, humanoid who can a human who could change into any animal he could imagine. Um, I'm trying to remember, was there anybody else in that book that I? Oh, Starfire. Yep. The alien princess. And did you get Raven? And, and Raven. Yep. I'll get to her. Uh, you had Starfire, the alien princess, who not only can fly and shoot stellar energy blasts, but she could absorb languages through making out with people. <laughs> right. I, right. I, I Which lo- is one of the weirdest superpowers it, of all time. It's just <laughs> in something that Tamaranians can do. <laughs> And there's one point where Robin looks at her askance when she hears uh, Colossus yep. later in the issue speak in Russian, and she goes, "Oh, good, another language I can I can speak." <laughs> and Colossus <laughs> is like, "Buzzy moi." Uh, <laughs> And then you have Raven. Mm-hmm. You have Raven, who is described as an empath, but has weird mystical powers in this great silhouette Raven uh, astral projection that mm-hmm. she can shoot mm-hmm. out. And yeah, her her empathic powers are a little. They they seem a little fuzzy. They seem to to go very fuzzy. They go they go to what the story needs. Yes. They're very uh, yes. They, they're very moldable to the story. Sometimes you get like the level of empathy of like a Deanna Troy in the Next Generation, right. where it's like. Captain, I think that he is angry with you. I, feel, I am angry with I you. I feel Picard. pain. <laughs> I feel pain. The pain. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes she could just do full on magic. Right. It, it almost, I mean, there's points in this book where it seems like she's almost directly, you know, <laughs> telepathically connecting with Professor X. She, right? she is a Swiss army knife of a superhero, sure. really. Well, so. you know, you need those to make some of these stories work but, sometimes. And, and honestly... It wasn't so much about her powers. It was about her character at the time in the new Teen Titans because she was so exotic. She she was born in another dimension to a human and a demon named Trigon. She was always haunted by this doom that was eventually going to claim her. Mm-hmm. And all of her powers wasn't going to help her one whit against her father when, right. he, when he came knocking later in the new Teen Titans series. But all you need to know is she's creepy <laughs> and she's got stuff that she can do. Yep. Yeah. And then we got, we got a number of, I mean, we mentioned dark side and we mentioned dark Phoenix. There are a couple other kind of antagonists in this book. We do see, uh, uh, from the DC side, we do see Metron Metron. Who's not even, he's neither villain nor hero. He is of the, um, he's again, he, a force though. Yes. Right? He is a pantheon. He is of the pantheon of the new gods of new Genesis, mm-hmm. where he is the God of knowledge. Uh, he knows all, he knows everything. He's sort of the scientist <laughs> God, basically. Yeah. When you need deus ex machina or you need uh, exposition, you go to Metron. Sure. Uh, he sits in this floating chair called the Mobius chair, uh, which we f- learned much later, uh, like about 10 years ago, uh, that Mobius was one of the new gods and eventually became the anti-monitor. Mm. Uh, yeah, that because that happens, comics. And uh, <laughs> but the Mobius chair gives him the, pl- the gives him the ability to go to any place, anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Yeah, you know, it's it just allows him to be. It, it's, again, it's a MacGuffin chair. It's a MacGuffin chair. It's a Deus Ex machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just lets you wherever the story needs the to go. A Mobius chair will get you there. Nice. Lickety split, just Guess like that. Yeah, we need one of those. Oh boy, I um, love that. So. Oh, and then we also have Deathstroke the Terminator. Yeah, and let's let's be clear. Deathstroke's full name is Deathstroke the Terminator. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. usually we throw some some cussing uh, 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 appellations in there. The MFing Terminator, <laughs> I think my friends and I called him at the time. Uh, a guy, he is a former Special Forces uh, officer 
who went through a procedure on this is in from DC Comics to turn him into a super soldier, and they did so by giving him access to ninety percent of his brain capacity. Whatever the hell that means. Sure, right. That, that, just, that's still working off that mythology of the 10% exact, brain thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it was that, but basically imagine um, Captain America, a guy who's not as strong as Captain America, but a guy who's lived twice as long, has twice as much experience, and has much faster reflexes to the point where he can throw a punch at Kid Flash, who is the other Teen Titans member that ah, I forgot. We also. forgot one. <laughs> Wally West, the yep. fastest kid alive at the time. So, uh, sorry about that. There's a lot of characters to track in this book. This is not Hulk <laughs> versus Superman, kids. Nope. So, anyway, uh, you had Deathstroke the Terminator, who was essentially hired by Darkseid to help him facilitate the resurrection of Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't re- even know <laughs> how to go from there. So, you, you're a mercenary. You live on Earth. And a god is going to contact you and say, hey, I'll pay you a million dollars if you help me resurrect a dead space god. Right. And, and that's, I mean, that's essentially you know. where, I mean, not with Darkseid, but that's kind of where the, the book opens up, right? right? We open up right on on, on uh, Metron. Um, and Metron got- and Darkseid are at the, a thing called the Source Wall. Right. And if you're not familiar with it, the best way that I can put it in, in as brief a term as possible, it's a wall comprised of petrified giants, of people who tried to penetrate the wall themselves. They're called the Promethean Giants. The source wall is what separates the material universe that we all live in from the infinite, mm-hmm. whether that is God, heaven, happy whatever grounds, is. whatever it is, uh, the stuff that man was not meant to know. It's what, uh, what's his name? Dave Bowman saw in 2001 sure. Space Odyssey. Right. That, that's what I, yeah. That's, he that, went that's on a, the other side of the source wall. That's almost wall. exactly what I kind of pictured. Yeah, right? so if you want to experience the infinite and then just get stuck on a wall for the rest of eternity, you you go there. It's the place you go and listen to, like, you know, Tool albums all the time exactly. and spiral out. And <laughs> 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 I never have associated Tool with the infinite yeah, before. Well, you know, uh, they had a whole album that kind of, Take that, Sarah McLaughlin. So so, uh, we kind of see a little bit of of Darkseid, and we see a little bit of Metron, and then we kind of jump to the X-Men in the Danger Room, where they always seem to be hanging out. It's a great place to start because they're already, you know, it starts in media res. Professor X is up in the control room. Professor X is, of course, the wheelchair-bound telepath, Omega-level telepath, they've said before, Mm -hmm. uh, who can um, control people. Were they using the Omega-level terms at this point? No, He was just the world's most powerful psychic at this point. Um, He's wheelchair-bound at this point, uh, who's in the control tower, basically throwing metal barbs and missiles and robots and explodo things yep. at his X-Men and Kitty Pride's like, oh I'm gonna die, oh I'm gonna die. <laughs> yep. But while all the while all the uh, X-Men are making quippy remarks while they all <laughs> jump around and escape from uh Because Wolverine's the best there is is what he does. Yep. So you know, I don't know why it made him sound like he was from Texas. <laughs> Good day, eh? I'm I'm from Canada. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that would get, be funny to have Wolverine with the Canadian accent. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> oh, and especially with the Canadian personality. 
oh, I'm sorry I stick my yes. claw Ooh, in you. Oh, sorry about that. So yeah. sorry. I don't, oh, Ooh, gosh, that sorry. looks like that's a stinger. Sorry boot that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, yeah. I think we found an, uh, uh, <laughs> I think we found a way to uh, pitch a Marvel, a, uh, a uh, Wolverine I know, story. Full, yeah. I know, fully Canadian Wolverine. Exactly. <laughs> but you but you get a moment where every X-Men gets a panel, basically, mm-hmm. where they get to show off what they can do. Right. Kitty Pride can phase so the missiles don't it's hurt a, her. I mean, it's a great storytelling element, yeah. right? It's a quick way to kind of, if, if you're a JL, or a, excuse me, a, a Teen Titans fan, you've never read the X-Men, it gives you a, just a quick idea of who these people are and what they do. And it's perfect in that respect because... Panel by panel, boom, 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 it's done. And then they uh, then then they go off and Darkseid uses some weird thing to like touch people's heads and, and get the dream essence of their memories of Jean Grey. Right. The and, Dark and in turn, this gave all the X-Men kind of nightmares. Exactly. Right? Or, or like a dream state where they're seeing Dark Phoenix and everyone kind of wakes up, including um, Including Scott actually sees her. Yes, right? sees sees an illusion of Jean actually just vaporize in front of him as she's like, "Scott, help me!" Yep, and there's actually yeah. a great panel of like Scott sitting there. He almost looks like he's burning. Yeah, you know, a really really awesome. And then and awesome then him, dynamic panel. And he wears these ruby quartz glasses to contain his optic beams, and he's like almost blasting through mm-hmm. them. His energy is right. so much. But what's funny is, is while these dreams are taking place in Westchester County, New York. In New York City, uh, Raven of the New Teen Titans somehow picks up on these nightmares. Right. Because right. we find out she just goes, her astral bird self goes flying around, and uh, she's intercepted by the by a by, force, the, by the Phoenix by the Force Phoenix. itself. So, yeah, and right. she, she wakes up screaming. Corey, uh, Corey's the name, um, uh, the real name of um, uh, Starfire. Mm-hmm. Um, so she takes her down to the kitchen. They eat. Uh, Garfield Logan comes down in polka dot pajamas, and he's like, "Oh, did I believe the- that they're hearts." Oh, are they hearts? I believe they're hearts. Oh, that's just old man eyes <laughs> looking at that. And then we, f- you know, he goes, did, "Did the bird look like this?" And then he turns into a green version of Phoenix, and Starfire at- attacks him. Right, right. It's like a, it's like a, like a, a an instinctual response. Exactly. It was, it was so scary to her. Well, you know, she was trained by the warlords of right. Kara. Mm-hmm. So, but we find out that a nearby planet. Star was consumed by Jean Grey, and that they have they call her like the Great Destroyer or right. something like that. Yep. you know. So, cue the Teen Titans getting called into called in for a late night. Well, and that's that a great. Point. I mean, that's a really great. Again, a transition like we talked about, a way to make the story make sense mm-hmm. and make a connection without it being absurd. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and that's the thing that. And and I want to kind of move through this a little bit, but you know I, I don't want to you know read the comic book for you, yeah. but gosh, you know uh, you know everybody shows up at the tower except for Robin, who's on the trail of Deathstroke, the Terminator, right. and Deathstroke just takes Robin to school at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, they find Robin just completely bashed in, it, knocked it, out. Yeah, I mean, and I'll tell you what, you want to talk about these exaggerated leg movements and. Things that Simmonson does. Mm-hmm. I mean, from you know, from this you know, really exaggerated kick to Robin's face meat <laughs> right. to to just how they zoom in on on a, on an emergency signal that he managed to yep. hit right before he passed out. Right, um, just fantastic. Um, so the X Men go into um, uh, investigation mode. 
Professor X is staying behind at the X Mansion. Uh, they go back to Jean's parents to traumatize. And you them. should say you should say that this with the Teen Titans. This mm. is how they, they knew that Jean Grey was involved with the X Men. Exactly. They thought yes. the X Men were criminals because okay, at this time the X Men were kind of considered criminals. Yeah, defending but, a world that fears and hates. Right. Them. Yes. So they so that's how the Teen Titans get on the trail of trying to hunt down the X Men. So then they go to traumatize Jean's parents. They're like, no, we haven't seen our dead child because she's dead, idiots. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> you know, how that is their first investigative decision to make. <laughs> I, I just... Of all the, the powers they have. <laughs> of all the powers they have, let's go traumatize people. Right. But it, it shows off uh, Storm's compassion, which plays out later in the book. Um, it, it, you know, God, I, I just... I'm just going through this, and then the Teen Titans go to Robin. Mm-hmm. Then they just des- then they decide, oh well, you know, uh, that's when uh, you know when they get all together. At this point, that's when Starfire explains to them about what you know how bad the Phoenix is. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Dabari system, and then you get into these explosive Simmonson panels, right? Of just big Star Wars level explosions and spaceships yep. and knockout drag out oh. fights. I mean, just, I mean, a lot of beat em up so much. And then Starfire and Robin make out. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, you know, we later find out that Deathstroke is on the, is on uh dark sides payroll, uh, you know, which we made uh, allusions to before, um, you know, professor X, blah, blah, blah. The teen Titans basically attack, uh, the X-Men and get interrupted by, uh, um, or they're going to attack the X-Men, but then they get interrupted by parademons. I mm-hmm. hate it when that happens. Yep. Uh, parademons always getting in the way. Always getting in the way. And then we find out that Deathstroke is in charge of of going to places where the Phoenix had, like, Great, like some right. kind of action, so that he can gather. She was the leaving res- behind like an energy, like a psionic cosmic energy stuff, and that's where he puts all the MacGuffin machines around. So they go to various places in the world. Which, by the way, I'm just going to stick for a quick second. There's a, there's a shot there on page 29 of one of the MacGuffin machines. Kind of, I'm at, I'm looking at it's right an now. overhead kind of shot, and it's an outstanding perspective shot. Oh my god, it's, really it's great! It's sitting on top of a mesa, right? And the color work and the shading that. Used I just, I, I just, the, I think the perspective is like perfect. It is, it is, and and how that feeds into the landscape. I'm sure you, as a photographer, uh, can really appreciate this. It's, uh, and to me, it's just it's sci-fi whiz bang, which mm-hmm. I'm totally into. And then uh, basically, uh, Wolverine, you know, the X Men find Deathstroke while they're tracing the Jean Grey energy. And uh, Wolverine's the first into the brawl, as usual. He manages to backhand Deathstroke. They blast Deathstroke. They zap him around a little bit. And then guess what? He shows who's who's Deathstroke, the MFing Terminator. And he kicks all their asses, basically. (laughs) I mean, just... And there's this one four-panel sequential scene of Colossus charging him. Right. Deathstroke in his bell-bottoms. Those bell-bottom boots, man. (laughs) Wow, I'm glad he's changed that look. But he just does a judo flip on poor Colossus, and there's this look on his face like, oh, this isn't going to end well. Yep. And throws him off the mesa. Yep. And that's it. Bye, Colossus. Um... Then well, we then we flip to this awesome shot of the wall. Oh God, the source wall with all the Promethean giants, and out of their eyes are shoot you know the energy that can, that the source wall cannot contain. Mm-hmm. So you have 
all of the eyes of the Promethean giants firing these beams of light out into the universe. So for all we know, they're just lights, stars that astronomers right. believe they are. And uh, sitting there in a little observatory next to the source, well, there's there's dark side. Yep. In the shadows. And uh, wow, we get those Simonson layouts again. Boom tubes, more parademons. Uh, but through the collection of this energy, man. which was essentially what yes, what please. what what Deathstroke was looking for was um, he was he was going to these spots to collect the energy for Darkseid, yes. right? And what Darkseid was using that energy for was to summon forth Dark Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix, which he is able to do. And then there's, I you mean, know. there's a, like one of the most amazing splash pages that, oh. I mean, of the, uh, it's got to be of the 80s, right? And, is, and, and, is this splash page of Dark Phoenix and Dark Side. And she says, who summons the Dark Phoenix, right? Exactly. And he says, I, Dark Side. Which is just, it's the language of both comics. Right. I mean, both series of comics. And you don't want to talk about a guy who has a, a, a particular set of skills his artwork in creating a splash page that is on the reveal page, meaning you have to turn the page to see it. Yep. And boom, there's Dark Phoenix. It's right up there from the first time we saw Walt Simonson draw Hela, mm-hmm. which is what was adapted for uh, Thor Ragnarok. Right. And it was like an oh my god moment. I'm the goddess of death. Right. And you not know, only it, does it, it, I mean, it goes from this, this splash page to a scene of them like linking hands. Right, and so you see right? the, the, them teaming up essentially, and you're thinking, how the hell are these guys gonna gonna break this up? Right, um, and again, more beat 'em ups, more shoot 'em outs, and of course, this is where the Teen Titans meet with um, with the X Men on some planet, wherever they are in space. They they are on that planet near the Source Wall, basically. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, hey, you guys aren't so bad after all. You know, let's fight together. Okay. You know, comic book tropes. But, hey, 1982, everybody. Right. Um, And this is what's great about Chris Claremont is everybody got into how wordy Chris Claremont is. I think the only writer who's wordier than than Chris Claremont is Stephen King. Yeah. And and that guy doesn't know an economy of prose to save his life. But here's the deal. This guy, Chris Claremont, at this point in his career, he was restraining himself, and he allowed the story to feel natural. There was no way. There's not one X-Men, there's not one Teen Titan that could blast Dark Phoenix into submission. Right. Not one. No. Nobody could just blast Darkseid into submission. Can't happen. So how do you do it? I'll tell you how you do it. You talk. <laughs> you have to talk. Right. You know, there's just no way. You have to confront. It's like Kirk meeting Apollo in the original series sure. of Star Trek. You know, you cannot phaser a god. Right. So, you know, this is what impressed me so much about this book. Even the young teenage reader that's recalling this is, is that, you know, the X-Men had to express their love for Jean to kind of weaken her or the Dark Phoenix... It was almost a construct, really. It wasn't so much that it was Jean Grey that was being reborn. It was the Dark Phoenix yeah. being reconstituted. Right, right. In the form of in the form of, you know, Jean in, Grey as Dark right, Phoenix. In the red and gold outfit that Brian yeah. created. But you know, they had to, to they had to get through to the underlying consciousness to Jean Grey. Yep. And I think that they were able to to do that plausibly. 
And uh, <laughs> right, and I mean, there's a scene later, like yeah. as they 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 go through, they they try to find ways to battle, they try to find ways to capture. There's a scene where um, Scott, if you remember, actually absorbs yes. Dark Phoenix, it and wasn't it's I the mean, first time, like no. Avengers versus X Men, wasn't the first time he got the Phoenix Force, right? Um, and he absorbs her for a second, and then shoots the Phoenix Force out at Darkseid. Yeah. Right? So that Darkseid could feel a little bit. Yep. And this is this is kind of what leads us into... This is really what defeats Darkseid at that point in time, right? Right. He's able to essentially... They, they're able to get the Phoenix Force wrangled out of Darkseid's control, fire it back at him and blast basically Darkseid, yep. tell him to just get, get the F out of here, right? Yeah, essentially. And essentially, Darkseid is blasted through the source wall, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows uh, him kind of right into it, like smack right into right. it. Right, and uh, there's some exposition at the end, which I I don't want to ruin. I think there's, you know, just, it it, it, it was probably going to be great setup for the X-Men Teen Titans number two. Right. You know, and, and that's what's interesting is the missed opportunity, right? God, like, you know, the way that this book ends, and again, I think it's a good call out, yeah. like, maybe we won't go into it too much, but the way that it ends, it leaves, like, whoa, 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 what, what actually happens it's next? It's different than what happens in the DC comics, mm-hmm. because Darkseid, as we know, for everybody except for Metron, who's now got his Mobius chair back, by the way, Professor X had it for a while, um, <laughs> don't ask right now. Just read the comic book. It makes sense. Um, but everything's back to normal-ish. Metron is at the source wall. Uh, he gives a, a pretty Kirby-like speech about, you know, uh, going beyond the mortal ken of men or something right. like that. Yep. And, uh, and then we get another Simmonson's splash page yep. of the source wall. Right. But this time, big old daddy dark side is one of the Promethean giants stuck on the wall. Right. And that's why it's like, how do they get him out of there? Yeah, right? I mean, this is if this was a setup to a second issue that would have taken off from that from that point. Right. Oh my God. I I, I couldn't imagine. I'm all in. Yeah. I want to hunt down George Perez and Marv Wolfman right now and say what the hell was going to happen. Well that's what I'm wondering. Like like was it ever written? Like no, was there even no a, even, was there even a plot or anything? No, nope, they did no work because while this was being produced, they were working on JLA Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. well. And I think uh, Steve Rude uh, did his DC debut on Teen, New Teen Titans forty eight, which might have been around this time. So <laughs> kind of crazy. But <laughs> to, to, to talk about talk Steve about Rude, look back to yeah, yeah the loop back our to our previous episode. episode. So you know. It, again, it, it, it was such a strong finish so that all you had to do was read this done in one comic. And it's like, boom, Dark Phoenix has dispersed so, and, and Dark Side is stuck on the wall. So right. if this is the only comic book you read with either the X-Men or, or the New Teen Titans... It's well, a perfect down in one issue. I mean, for me, for me, I was an you know I read X Men not at this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little bit younger, right? Um, I read X Men a few years later, but um, you know, I would have been reading X Men. I I wouldn't have never read Teen Titans, right? I was a, I was a Marvel kid, Die like a hundred percent at that point in time. I mean, maybe an issue of Batman here or there. That was about as far as I went into DC. Oh, I but, loved. Oh my gosh, you might you might have changed your mind a little bit. Just because of how X Men like the new Teen Titans were, because it just that was the only DC book that I was really seriously into right. at that point. And that might be the case, but you know, if I, as a kid, I'm like, 
that's that's hokey DC stuff, right? right. Like now, now I can respect it, right? right? But at the time, I was like, nah, that ain't that's not what I'm into. But um, what I like about it is that you can, as just a straight X Men fan, you can read this book, and because of Dark Side, because of um, Metron, because of that Kirby influence, it feel it still has a certain Kirby feel, yes. right? Yes. And so. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Oh, right. so then it makes me go, oh, wait, is there more DC stuff that feels like this? Because that's right. now I'm interested, right? Yeah, big ideas on every page. And, and you would have been disappointed in DC at this point because they honestly did not have a good grasp at this time in the early 80s of what the fourth world Jack Kirby New Gods characters were mm-hmm. about. Um, they would bring them back every so often. And I think after this, a year or two later, I think it was 1984, they'd bring back uh, Jack Kirby to do a done-in-one uh, book called uh, New Gods, The Hunger Dogs, yes. and uh, which was the ostensible finish piece for the New Gods. But then they brought him back again later. Right. And, you know. Um, I mean, poor Jack. I mean, Jack had to do what work that he was offered. Right. He, he, and, and you know what? God bless Jack, because then Jack got angry at that point, and then he went off, and he started doing books like, uh, I don't know, Silver Star and Captain yep. Victory, and, yep. and he decided to go out the on The stuff for Pacific own, Comics, the, and the, the stuff for Topps Comics, then later into the early 90s. Yeah. And then did the the image-inspired books with the kids over an image. Yep. And, uh, he said, in fact, just a little snippet, yeah. he said that that book, that book was so huge, The Phantom Force, number one. Yeah. Um, he said that, that he made more profits off that book than like any other book in history. And I it was believe like it. The, it, was, well, it was like the last thing he ever did. Because almost. Yeah, because of profit participation right. over at right. DC. And, and creator ownership. Oh, my God. It means so much. And that's another podcast for another day. Yep. Because, God, we went overtime on this one. So, <laughs> Well, let's close it out a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about what we're going to do next time. Um, so let me just a little bit here. I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, right? We want to do Marvel. We want to do a Marvel crossover. Right. Since we were talking, this is one of the last ones until like 1994. Well, let's go to 94 and let's take a look at what we got. And I'm thinking there was a couple of Punisher and Batman crossovers. Oh, boy, so were they. The, well, the first one is Punisher, Batman, Lake of Fire. So... I think that's where we should go for next time. And you know what? I have almost no memory of that, so I can't wait to read it. No, yeah, same here. Like, I I think I remember it existing, right? That's that's about it. Again, it's 94. I was reading Image Comics, and the only Marvel I was still reading at this point was Spider-Man. Right. Like, and even then, I was starting to lose at this point, because we're talking Clone Saga era. Right, right. right. And so I'm like, And uh, then this is also the Azrael Batman era. Right, right. As well. Yeah, Broken Back Batman. Which is why I wasn't reading Batman Mm -hmm. at that point, just to be honest, but I'm going to, now that I'm older and wiser <laughs> and grayer, I'm going to read this book and, and keep an open mind. Awesome. So yeah. Jim, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media? Hey, again, hit me up at Jimmers with three M's at Jimmers with three M's. That's on Twitter. On Twitter at Jimmers with five M's on Instagram and just Jim Mason on Facebook, which I'm using less and less every day. Yep. And um, what about you, Will? Yeah, you can find me most of my comic-related material. You can find me on uh, Twitter at GoldenBoyPhoto1. Um, you'll see 100% comics. That's kind of my comic uh, business My where I do uh, I do dealing, I do publishing. I just do a lot of like ranting and raving on Twitter as well. So I love your <laughs> great follow. <laughs> yeah. And then we got um, 
Uh, and of course, you know, the, you know, Curtis Finley and the Epic Marvel podcast. You can uh, just search for Epic Marvel podcast. You're going to find him. He's got Twitter. Uh, that's where, you know, Curtis posts a lot of stuff out there. He's got a Facebook page and a Facebook group for a lot of interaction. You're going to love it. Check yep. it out. So and so if you want to hear of a specific crossover, you just want to let us know how we did. If you want to chew us out and tell us everything we got wrong, um, go ahead and use the hashtag Epic Crossover. We're going to go ahead and follow that and uh, let us know. And if you have suggestions for or epic Marvel crossovers that you want us to, to cover, please let us know about that as well. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there's a lot. There's a while to go, especially once we get into, again, the Amalgam era oh. or the era of Marvel and all the image crossovers That's right. or the, uh, I mean, the Marvel Ultraverse crossovers, right? The pre, the pre uh, Malibu buyout. We might need to do a special episode just to explain Malibu yeah. comics to people. Yeah, so, that's, a, uh, that's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jim. Well, hopefully uh, you'll catch us next time and uh, we'll see you soon. And until then, read more comics. Read more comics.